For hundreds of years, since the birth of modern shareholding in the 17th century, we've measured companies' success in terms of the rising value of investments in them. That valuation is based on a company's profitability, or in investors' confidence in its ability to deliver profits in the future. But in recent years, society has come to ask more of organisations than that they make a profit. One key demand has been that they explain their impact on the environment. Increasingly, organisations have also thought about how the environment will impact them. For example, how might global heating impact the reliability of the supply chain? Merely looking at your bottom line, or for public organisations, at direct performance indicators like patients treated or passengers served, is not enough. One way of looking at those broader impacts is the concept of natural capital. Natural capital is a way of understanding the value of the natural environment for the services and benefits that it brings to people. It has value like any other asset, and if kept in good condition, it can continue to provide those benefits. Flood protection, urban cooling, carbon capture, food, raw materials. What has traditional accounting missed when we consider this interplay of impacts? And how does natural capital fill those gaps? So I think the failure has been in the fact that we haven't understood what its value is and haven't recognised that it has a value. So it's not actually been captured in any of the ways that we measure progress or success, you know, at a macro scale in terms of economics, but also within our own organisations, our own businesses and our personal lives as well. You know, it's a, it's a hidden externality is what the economists will, will probably call it. But yeah, fundamentally, I think it is to do with that it's not visible and not recognised in the traditional ways in which we, we measure progress. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. And the voice you just heard was Jenny Merriman, the Natural Capital and Biodiversity Working Group Lead at WSP. In this episode, we've partnered with WSP, which is working with Transport for London to increase biodiversity in one of the world's greenest capital cities. And a lot comes down to this core concept of natural capital. Hang on a minute. Is London really one of the world's greenest cities? Have you seen Oxford Street? According to Catherine Drayson at TfL, compared to other cities... We're incredibly lucky in London. We are the world's first national park city and we are anywhere between... It's 48 and 51% green. There are particular reasons why we can't give an exact figure. It's to do with the data. But that is phenomenally green for a capital city. And part of that is down to our historical legacy of the public parks, the royal parks, etc. And... Also the Victorians in terms of planting plane trees uh, along our streets. So we've got this incredible resource within London already. TfL land within the GLA, so the Greater London Authority boundary, covers around, I think it's 1.3%, 1.2% of London's area. And somewhat surprisingly, given that we're operating an integrated transport network on that 1.2% of land, we actually have roughly the same 
amount of tree canopy cover on our on TFL's land as London does as a whole. So that's at around 22% canopy cover. Catherine works for Transport for London in the Transport Strategy and Planning team. And I work specifically on green infrastructure, climate change adaptation and wider transport carbon. Biodiversity has become an increasing concern for TfL and most people don't realise the extent to which it's now part of their remit. It isn't just their job to make the tube run on time. Sustainable development is core to Transport for London's purpose. When we were set up via the GLA Act, it set out the purpose of social development, improvement of the environment and economic development and wealth creation. In terms of why now, I think recognition is growing in society generally about the importance of nature and I think the pandemic in particular has brought that into sharp focus in people's minds. But generally I also think that recognitions about the urgency of tackling the climate and ecological emergency is also growing. So what we're trying to do at TfL now is develop the tools we'll need in order to maintain focus on the strategic objective of protecting and improving the environment in the way that we build and maintain and operate London's transport system. The Mayor's Transport Strategy sets out outcomes that we're seeking to achieve in the way that London's transport system is operated and developed. And they're around improving health, improving safety, uh, making the network efficient, but also making it green. That was Sam Longman, Head of Corporate Environment for Transport for London. Part of fulfilling that mission is to develop a natural capital account. So given TfL's current financial constraints and the constraints that we have in the fact that we have to operate a world-leading integrated transport network, there's a limit to what we can and can't do uh, in terms of the natural environment. We can't suddenly turn entire streets over to Parkland, much though sometimes I'd wish we could. There's a need to identify where they can best place their time, their money, and how to develop and maintain London's transport networks to create the best outcomes. And for that, you need evidence. And for me, that's where a natural capital account really comes into its own. It provides that baseline of where is our green infrastructure currently, and allows us to identify, well, what condition is it in? Could we enhance it? What services is it providing? What services do we need in particular areas? And using that information, you can start to better target where you put your limited resources. And we've done that not only, well, we're doing that not only for natural capital, but we've done that for biodiversity. So back in 2017, they developed their first biodiversity baseline map, which set out where all of the habitats were on the operational network. And we expanded that to our entire estate in 2019. And using it, we're able to identify where the opportunities are for enhancement. We've built that into our project management processes so that biodiversity net gain can be measured as part of our projects from beginning to end. So does that mean building more parks? No, it's broader than that. Green infrastructure is pretty much anything that's vegetated. And that's not just our parks and green spaces, it's also features like green roofs and street trees. So it's quite varied in terms of what it covers. But the key thing with green infrastructure is that it provides a huge variety of benefits to us and to wildlife. And that can range from climate change adaptation, 
So that's providing shade, providing local cooling, helping to reduce surface water flood risk. One of the other benefits that green infrastructure provides is an attractive environment for staff and for other passengers. It can do a lot to encourage walking and cycling just by being attractive. For me, that's key, is understanding at an aggregate level how much we are delivering, but also how much opportunity has been avoided. Because if you're designing an individual project, it can be quite difficult to argue when you get to a value engineering stage, which is incredibly important. Remember, we're spending public money here, that this additional element of a scheme that might be increasing green infrastructure or biodiversity should remain in the scheme. But if we're able to show at a programme and portfolio level and ultimately business planning level, this is the sum total of what we're delivering and the benefits that London see from that. How does the approach that TfL is taking differ from that of other companies that have made use of the natural capital approach? Here's Jenny at WSP to explain. A lot of the companies that have started to think about natural capital and how it applies to them as a business are companies that have a very direct footprint. So, you know, potentially mining companies where there's an obvious visible impact on the environment from their direct operations or where there are companies with supply chains where they know that they're using extensive raw materials, for example. So with TFL, it has been really interesting to actually say, well, okay, you're kind of one step removed in many cases from from that sort of direct impact. And we've had to tease out quite carefully the different parts, the different things that TFL does as an organisation firstly, and then the different ways in which that might impact and how they might depend on the environment. So one of the methodologies we've used is a materiality assessment, which looks at a long list of possible things that the the organisation might impact and depend on. And then we had a number of internal and external stakeholders actually helping us to tease out the priorities of those. And what we found was that biodiversity was recognised as one of the main material impacts for them and dependencies were quite closely linked to things like climate so operating infrastructure in London is reliant on a sort of stable predictable weather pattern and where that doesn't happen there can be quite bad knock-on effects in terms of you know delivering their transport and health and safety issues as well so yes been teasing out those kind of particular elements where there is a natural capital story to tell and then thinking about how they actually try and embed that information into their processes and decisions to influence how they go about doing things. To embed natural capital into its processes, it was critical to include as many parts of the business as possible, that everyone felt included. We were really clear that we didn't just want a single number from this process. There are lots of organisations out there who've created a natural capital account and it's just said something along the lines of our green estate provides X pounds worth of value and maybe breaks it down by um, what some of the benefits are. But we wanted to embed natural capital accounting in our decision making and that's quite a different thing to do. So they decided to follow the natural capital protocol, which is split into four main stages. And... As part of this project, we completed the first two stages, and they were frame and scope. And for frame, 
we covered the why do we want to conduct a natural capital assessment in the first place? Why is this important to the FR? And then moving on to scope, we defined the objective, what the scope of the assessment would be, and which impacts and dependencies would be the most important for us to measure. Because green infrastructure has so many different benefits, and there are so many different ways to affect it, for this, they had to be really clear that they couldn't measure everything. And I think at this stage, nor would we wish to, because this is very early days for us. So we want to be very streamlined and clear on which are the most important impacts and dependencies that we want to measure straight away. Later on, we'll move on to the last two stages, which are the measuring and valuing. So that's how do we actually measure the impacts and dependencies. And then the final stage is applying. So actually giving it a go, putting it in practice, seeing it through a few projects and embedding it in some of our processes. So as TfL planned to measure their impact on biodiversity, they needed to select what to measure. That's one of the things that Jenny and Tom at WSP were able to help them with. Tom Butterworth is Technical Director for Natural Capital and Biodiversity at WSP. And you might recognise him from episode 56, The Biodiversity Emergency. Transport for London have a commitment to enhance biodiversity or for biodiversity net gain. This lines up with the national planning policy that says that developments should deliver biodiversity net gain and measurable net gains, uh, but TfL have set that out as a, a commitment for their organisation to overall, as an organisation as a whole, in their activities deliver gains for biodiversity. So the first piece we were asked to do was to help them set a baseline for that so that they could measure the 10% against that baseline. And then off the back of that, we've been working with them to use that baseline to develop a natural capital account or the start of a natural capital account. Biodiversity can be measured absolutely as the number of species or the abundance of those species or combinations of those measures. Within England and increasingly within the UK, we have a standard way of assessing this to allow this to be done so that it creates a level playing field. And this method has been set out by government. It was set out uh, back in 2012 originally, and it's been developed since then. And DEFRA have, along with Natural England, have published a standardised metric. That metric is based on the area of a habitat, so not on the the numbers of species, but the area of a habitat, what type of habitat it is, it's called its distinctiveness, and a, and a very rare, uh, lovely woodland would have a higher distinctiveness, whereas something that's uh, low quality from a biodiversity point of view would have a low distinctiveness. And then the quality of that habitat, its condition. And those are given numerical scores in a standardised way, uh, multiplied together to get a biodiversity unit score for the baseline. But how do you measure the environment in practice? Is it a question of sending out an army of surveyors and ecologists across the TfL network? We were looking at the entirety of their landholding. And obviously the underground areas do include quite a lot of green space because not all of them are underground. But there's also all of the other areas that the transport infrastructure runs through, that green verge that is part of TfL's estate. How we assess that could be a matter of going out and looking at each individual site and monitoring it and checking it, checking it, finding out what habitat type it is and measuring it. 
that would take an awful long time, but it would also be quite dangerous in the sense that we're working in very high-risk environments where there's very close to train lines or, or underground lines. So what we did instead to make that a much more rapid assessment and something that could gather that data in a costly way, a, 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 a cheaper way, was to use existing data sets from TfL themselves, but also from the London Record Centre, it's called Giggle, that holds all of that green space information, and then layered these together in a, a geographic information system, in a GIS system, to gather data across the whole estate. That leaves a whole load of gaps as well, and those gaps we filled using remote sensing uh, analysis. So we took LiDAR data, other satellite data, combined that and using algorithms, learning algorithms, to identify different habitat types. The woodlands, the grasslands, the wetlands and so on. It's thousands of different polygons of data. So each habitat is identified as a separate polygon and it's that tens of thousands of different polygons. So it's a very significant amount of data. Now the wonderful thing about GIS systems is that they can manage that amount of data relatively easily and, and it's, it's quite manageable. It can also be ex exported directly into things like Excel uh, and then we can start analysing that data as well. We're looking at the, the, the value for each parcel and also for the whole estate. And so what they can report on or, or uh, use that information to inform is any development project, any management project, any work on the ongoing operations of the site. They can use the data to uh, both inform how they could do that and also understand the impact of that at an individual project scale. And then you can add that together, bringing that data set, those data sets back together into an updated assessment across the estate to show change across the whole estate. What's next for TfL? How can they use the baseline they've developed to guide future projects? And how can they get their 25,000 staff to contribute to this approach? So far as we know, TfL is the only organisation in the transport sector in the UK to really focus on embedding natural capital accounting into our processes and decision making, rather than just having a single project that comes up with a single natural capital number. And I think that's really encouraging. It sets TfL apart as a world leader and I think it's also encouraging because natural capital, through just being what it is, helps break down silos. And silos are a great deal of what hampers progress on improving the environment. It's always improving the environment is seen as, oh, it's, it's another team's responsibility. It's someone else's business. We've got to get our stuff done. And I'm not just talking about TFL, I'm talking about you know, most organisations. And so I think that there is a real role here for natural capital to cross-cut those organisational silos and really provide that linking and holistic thinking that is absolutely crucial to delivering real gains. So the way we need to embed this new approach to natural capital is the same way we seek to embed all of our strategic outcomes and regulatory requirements, ultimately through TfL's management system. So that means we need to have the right training, we need to have the right products and tools that are easy to use, but we're giving people that feedback about ultimately 
what are the outcomes that they're delivering and also reporting that at the top level. Given that Green Futures is now one of TfL's top priorities, we need to express what that actually means and what we're delivering. And that has the benefit of them feeding back that people want to contribute towards that strategic outcome. Therefore, they're more likely to engage and use those tools. And lastly, it's about undertaking audit and assurance activity and continually adjusting and improving to check that your systems and processes are working. Uh, so you're ultimately delivering your stated aims. Catherine says that she's seen a general increase in awareness and understanding of the importance of green infrastructure within TfL. To the extent that we now have an internal green infrastructure steering group that represents or includes representatives from a whole range of different stakeholders across the business who work either directly or indirectly on green infrastructure. And that's an incredibly useful forum for exchanging ideas, for exchanging knowledge about what does and doesn't work. And it's just proven to be an excellent way to get to meet like minds as well. It's quite encouraging for being able to provide that support that we all sometimes need in our roles. There's a concerted effort to raise the profile of environmental sustainability. And we've got, uh, it's been running for a year now, a staff sustainability network group. And that talks a lot about green infrastructure in amongst all the other sustainability issues. And one of the great benefits of that uh, and the work that Catherine and um, her team do on green infrastructure and biodiversity is getting external speakers in and getting people from across the business who are kind of interested in this stuff to hear from those external speakers and ultimately be inspired. And that's where we've seen some of the best gains is when we've brought someone really inspiring in to talk to our engineers and then they really want to get behind this and try and deliver it for us ahead of actually creating our natural capital account and, and making it a requirement. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written by Will North, edited and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Bernadette Ballantyne, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our own natural capital is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner WSP, and thanks also to TfL. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn.